I'm walking all alone down my yellow brick road and I stomp to the beat of my own drum. Got my pockets full of dreams and they're busting at the seams going boom, boom, boom to my own song. Welcome to Stacked Keys Podcast. I'm your host, Amy Stackhouse, a podcast to feature women who are impressive in the work world or in raising a family or who have hobbies that can make us all be encouraged. Want to hear what makes these women passionate and to get up in the morning or what they wish they'd known earlier in their lives? Grab your keys and stomp to your own drum. And a whole lot of things that I want to be. All I got to do is count one, two, three. To my own drum. Whatever you do, it ain't nothing on me. Because I'm doing my thing and I hold the key to all my wants and all my dreams. A lot happens in this episode with Stella Williams-Bailey of Be a Star with Stella. Talk about success and an advocate for women. She coaches individuals to be their best self as they find the confidence to meet their goals and challenges us all throughout this conversation as it winds from finding your purpose and direction to bringing awareness of individuals with special needs and practical ways to show support. Tune in because I know you'll enjoy meeting Stella as much as I did. Today I am in Cordell, Georgia, and I am with Stella Williams Bailey. Good morning. Good morning. I'm delighted to be here. Uh, we have so much to talk about, and I just cannot wait for the audience to meet you. Thank you. So I'd like to start out with letting you kind of introduce yourself and give us a feel of who you are today. <laughs> who I am today? Wow, that's that's a good question, Amy. I, I am. Um, I am a mother, a grandmother, a sister, and um, have lots of wonderful friends. I came back to Cordell. I grew up here after my husband passed away. We lived in Calhoun, Georgia. We met at the University of Georgia and uh, kept our grew up, raised our family in Calhoun. And then when Bill passed away, I needed to come home because my parents were elderly and my boys, both of my sons, had married South Georgia girls. So one was in America's, one was in Macon, and it was just the right thing for me to do. I felt that God led me here to come back home. And I continued my profession that I had started years and years ago as a professional speaker and a communications coach. So I am that's what I'm doing. I'm balancing. Most of my time is spent either speaking around at different functions. I have 
done a lot of that at the University of Georgia, at Georgia Tech. I'm on the board of trustees for the Georgia Women of Achievement. I was their keynote speaker a few years ago. Last year, I had a wonderful experience as a uh, keynote for the family College of Family and Consumer Sciences at the University of Georgia. They asked me to come for their leadership seminar, and I spoke to faculty, alumni leaders, and student leaders. And basically what I was saying was appreciation of the past. We were 100 years old last year, our College of Family and Consumer Sciences at the University of Georgia. So I was looking back on the on the many things that we had accomplished in those hundred years, but also they asked me to challenge the leaders to look forward to the next hundred years. So it was quite a lot of fun to research and to go back and to be honored in that way. I had also been uh, selected to be one of the 100 most outstanding persons of the family and consumer science for those hundred years. So that was a, quite an honor to go back and I was I was in the group with some of my professors that had taught me at Georgia I was in the group with with friends that I had known through the years of all ages men and women so that was quite an honor so then to be asked to go back and be a speaker for their leadership seminar was quite nice for me to do and I totally enjoyed it oh I'm sure that is great and I imagine that they were quite proud of you those that have been your mentors and teachers along the way, professors. So that's fabulous. Um, I'm going to jump into what we have on the table. You okay. have some things in front of me that are publications and awards. And, you know, I there's so much um, that you have to offer that you've done and that you will do. So I want to kind of dive into that and, um, and just talk about some of the publications that you've been in. And I know it's hard to talk about yourself and... <laughs> Might well, feel a little it, it bragging is. At actually, times. I have to. I had to hunt under uh, lots of other things <laughs> to pull out for you this morning. But I knew that you were wanting to talk about women and yes, successful definitely. women and women in their own businesses. And I'm I'm such an advocate for women. And one of the things that I'm most proud. Well, there are two actually. We've already talked about UGA, but I've been on the alumni board of UGA for back, on and off for about 18 years, and I was on the executive. Uh, board as well for a little while and I'm very proud to be a woman of UGA the, one of these magazines um, this one here I was the moderator for an, an event that we held in Atlanta and actually I came up with the idea but what we were doing we were focusing on the changes through the decades at UGA and I really wanted to start in the 40s because my mom was a, was a 1945 graduate of UGA, oh, wow. but all of them, including my mom at that time, were just really too old to come and talk. So we started in the 50s, and we had a, a representative from the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, and 2000. So we had all these different women to speak about what life was like at UGA, and I had originated the idea. We held it at the Swan House in Atlanta and asked women to come. So that was a lot of fun. So the, the alumni magazine put this picture in there of all of us, and, and interestingly, enough this person over here is my sister she oh, wow. spoke she spoke for her decade which was fun and um this picture over here was a profile an alumni profile that the alumni magazine did of me um and it tells a lot about what I do in my coaching and it took 
my history from being a student at UGA, my involvement as an alum, and then talked about my business a little bit. And uh, that was fun. And and I was interviewed by a student. Oh, wow. So that was really nice to be interviewed by a student. This particular magazine is uh, called Dancing with the Stars. I was the first person asked to be in the very first Dancing with the Stars in Calhoun, Georgia. And what we did, uh, they we didn't have professional dancers. We They paired leaders in the community. My, my partner was the president of the Chamber of Commerce. Oh, wow. And we did a really cute dance that we made up ourselves called Your Mama Can't Dance and Your Daddy Can't Rock and Roll, oh, or whatever funny. that, yeah, that I cute remember little the song is. And we pretended we were like the cleavers uh, in Leave It to Beaver. And I had on an apron, and he was sitting in his easy chair. And then the songs started, and I went over and grabbed him out of his easy chair, and we danced. Oh, how but fun. They were and dan- did you dance before? Or oh, was yes, this I've something danced you all my life, but but not like this. Yeah. I mean, you know, not in a while. <laughs> not in a long That's time. Awesome. And so it was fun getting, uh, getting started, getting ready physically for it. But also there was another catch. You had to raise money. We had two, and this is my, over there you can see, well, no, I don't have my Dancing with the Stars. It's upstairs, my uh, little trophy. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't break it down. See, you, it's like a mirror got ball. got a trophy. It's like the mirror ball, the, oh, the, the real Dancing right. with, but it was small. It was oh, a real small, fantastic. not that small. It's about the size of that over there. Yeah. But anyway, we raised money for the gym theater, which is a, a movie theater that's been redone, state-of-the-art, fabulous theater in Calhoun that was take you know how people take the old movie theaters and right. make them into beautiful and so uh, this was and also the United Way so each of us as dancers were to raise money I, I did not win I only lost by two thousand dollars but I did raise twenty thousand dollars oh wow for That's this event and every year in Calhoun it's gotten bigger and bigger we raised our group was the first and we raised over a hundred thousand but since then, they've continued to raise more and more and more. So, um, so it's been a quite, a quite a nice thing, but this was the very first one. Well, it sounds to me that you are involved in trailblazer projects and that are very community-oriented, and so that must be a passion of yours. Absolutely, it is. And leaving one community and coming to another, um, I had done a cancer fashion show, and we used cancer survivors as our models that was also in Calhoun before I left and I had a great committee obviously that worked with me on that but when I moved to Cordell after Bill passed away I was looking for where I could become involved because I just I don't I just feel that it's very important to give back to your community since I had been raised here and Cordell meant an awful lot to me I was very pleased that I was first asked to be on the Arts Council. Uh, It's called the CRISP Arts Alliance, and as I mentioned to you earlier, the executive director is is the daughter of a friend of mine that I grew up with, and she called me and said, would you would you be on the board? And I thought, you know, I think that's a good place for me to start. Good starting point. in, In Cordell. And so it led to so many other things. My best friend's some of my dearest friends I met again, some I'd grown up with, others I had not that had moved into Cordell since I left. They have become my best friends. And then I joined the Community League, where your your daughter is, is both on both of those 
right. uh, boards with me. There. Yeah, she's yeah. very involved, and we love her so much, and she's been such an asset to our community. But I joined the Community League, and it's been wonderful because we help families and children in the Cordial area. And I was on that board. I've rotated off yeah. now. So I've, I've, I'm trying very much, and I'm very involved in my church. Uh, I, I have to balance my life, as you and I talked about earlier, because I did have elderly parents, both of whom have, have passed away. I have a special needs grandson that um, I enjoy being with. I have two little granddaughters in America that I love to go to their events. They rode horses competitively for a while, and now they're into sports, oh, wow. uh, basketball and softball and just life. <laughs> I love, love my family very much. But as you're involved in relationships that extend beyond the family, a lot of that comes back to the family. Yes. So events that you're involved in and and raising money and awareness. So have you found something in having special needs? Have you been involved in anything? Absolutely. In fact, I wrote that on my piece of paper this morning in reflection of what I was going to speak about because, uh, yes, absolutely. We have a buddy walk every year which uh, showcases uh, special needs children. They, they have one in New York, actually. My little grandson was featured on the big billboard. It's on, up on my refrigerator, the Sony big jumbotron when he was maybe one. And um, then um, my children, my son and his wife, Palmer and Rosie, chaired the Buddy Walk in Macon several years and now it's held at the lane packing company the peach packing company oh, yes. in fort valley so what what is the buddy walk for the Why buddy walk is do? to raise awareness for down syndrome and uh to let the kids just come and have a good time and their families to come they have activities of uh pony rides and those big blow-up things that oh, the yeah. kids play on right. and just and then they walk it's just like any other kind of relay walk they walk around the property and and it's just a a way of showing support and love for these children and these families another thing that i enjoy very much is the miracle league my son palmer and his wife rosie coach the miracle league the miracle league is for special needs children not just down syndrome children with down syndrome it's for cerebral palsy kids, blind kids, deaf kids, autistic children, all kinds of special needs. And the one in Macon is fabulous. Uh, And so that is such a wonderful experience because you get to see special needs children and their families having the same experience that others have on the baseball field. Now, it's not exactly the same. They, They... Little things are big things to them, like hitting the ball, throwing the ball. But to see those kids having that wonderful experience on a Saturday morning, and I'm so very proud of Palmer and Rosie for coaching and the other coaches and the people that sponsor and help because it's a wonderful experience. And if I could tell everyone out in the audience that's listening to us to go and find a Miracle League and watch these exceptional children perform. It's quite, it's quite nice. I've been um, helping the University of Georgia, and the, there's an a organization over there called Extra Special People, 
they are trying to get a Miracle League field and are being quite successful in their fundraising. So you'd think there would already be one over in that area, but there's not. And there's one up in Dalton near where I used to live. But this is quite expensive to get these yeah. fields done because they have to be wheelchair accessible. And um, so it's a wonderful thing if a community has them. And we're very pleased that Chappie has been participating for three years in this Miracle League and that Palmer and Rosie have coached. Yeah, that um, takes a lot of support for them to be able to do that as well. Yes. So as a grandparent, um, you know, I know that can really tug your heart. So is there something that you could say to our listeners that would, I know being a part of those things, but, but just raising our awareness and our consciousness and maybe how we can, as people and neighbors, encourage or be a part? Is there something that, that just you just wish that we knew? And a lot of times it's that we just don't have the exposure. That's right. So is there I, something yes, you can I certainly, I certainly will speak to that. What we need to remember is that special needs children and adults are people. They have the same feelings we do, the same emotions. They have special needs, but they, they are people, and they need to be treated with respect and love. And I think sometimes we think, oh, they're different, but they're not so different. Um, they are more alike than they are different. My particular son, grandson is nonverbal, but he's very, very smart, and he scores really highly on tests. And so, you know, he's, we don't know what's going on inside that brain. I think physical disabilities, um, he had a little walker for a while. Um, he's very good on the iPad. He's amazing. He's better than I am. <laughs> they often but I think, are. I think there's the fact that you need to be empathetic because parenting is hard no matter what. But if you have a special needs child, parenting is much more challenging. And I think that people just need to be more empathetic and understanding of the way that they are, they are different and to love them and to appreciate their parents and support their parents. We have a great support system in our family. Rosie has brothers and mother um, my children are very supportive. My my other son, William, who lives in America, and his wife, Lee, and their two little girls, G. Caroline and Emily Claire, very supportive of Chappie. My extended family is. So I think that you just need to know that they are people and that they love their children just like we love ours, but they're more challenges. I've appreciated the openness that I'm starting to see of families who are experiencing special needs and just different challenges because it makes me aware and um, that to me is a gift and I don't know if they even realize sometimes that they're giving me a gift of teaching me and helping me along. Well we all grow from other people's experiences with us and if you haven't had that experience you don't understand it as well but being kind and loving and supportive is so very important. Let's just say if you see a special needs child in a restaurant, if you could just go over and say hello or make a nice comment about them or just acknowledge, you know, that you appreciate and understand and support their situation. I think that awareness is wonderful, and we've come such a long way 
in awareness for special needs people and disabilities of any kind. I think that our country has come much a long ways in, in my lifetime, and I'm very proud of that. Yeah, I totally agree. But it seems that that's, that is a thread that goes through pretty much what you're doing is, is creating awareness and, and helping and coaching. And so we kind of stopped in what you were, you were talking about of the, the table, but I, I love it. There, there's an award here, and there's a 100 Years of Enriching Lives book on the table. Yes. Tell me about that. That's from my College of Family and Consumer Science at the University of Georgia. It's a history of the 100 years of, of our college serving families and children. And we actually have, uh, it's called Destination Dogs. It's, it's for exceptional people that can go to the university and study. Um, they don't get degrees exactly like everyone else yeah. does, but they get certificates. And this is this is wonderful and I, I I spoke about that in my speech talking about looking forward and I said in my speech I hope one day Chappie will be able to participate in this program very very proud of my College of Family and Consumer Sciences and what they've done in research uh, it's amazing I mean we are just multi-faceted of the services that we give and the degrees that we offer so for them to say to me that I had been one of these people one of the 100 people that had helped enrich lives over the 100 years that's huge <laughs> I was quite humbled yeah. and honored and oh, felt very undeserving to be in the group with so many of the others because former deans and former faculty and alumni that were much I felt much more uh, deserving than I but to be honored like that was quite nice and um, it was a celebration of our school and our college and the University of Georgia. So you went to school at UGA did you have any idea what you were going to do (laughs) with that as you were coming out of school? That's so Have you landed where you thought you would I, I land? I absolutely have, but I had to reinvent myself several times. Let's talk about that. Okay, that's a fun thing to talk about. I got my degree in uh, family, at that time it was called child and family development, something like that, family and child development. I started out after my master's degree. I worked as a um, graduate assistant in the infant lab at UGA we have a a laboratory where students study the behavior of children and I was the one they were looking through the glass window studying how I interacted with these kids so that was wonderful I enjoyed that very much but um, I graduated from UGA with my master's uh, and I went to work for the state as a child development consultant I had an office at the state capitol I traveled South Georgia helping people develop daycare centers, maternal and infant care centers. And then my husband got an offer to go practice law in Calhoun, Georgia. And, oh, my goodness, I never knew a thing about North Georgia. I was a South Georgia girl. <laughs> so we went to North Georgia, and uh, the state transferred me to Rome. So instead of having South Georgia to do consult with, developing these daycare centers and, and infant care places, I was in North Georgia. So I did that for a while until we had our first child, William. And I realized really quickly that that was going to be very hard to do. 
I did it for a while, but Bill's job was demanding. My job was demanding. So I decided, and this is what's so great about family and consumer science degree. You are so well prepared to do so many things. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Whatever your passions are, you exactly. can pretty much so I the needs of the community. I decided I would start my own business. Um, it was first the new you, which was uh, helping people to find their best self whether it was coaching for interview skills or etiquette. I did a lot of little etiquette classes for kids my children's ages, and I just started doing my own thing. And uh, I loved it because I could balance, you know, what I was doing. Um, I one time had a fabulous experience to speak to the State Chamber of Commerce down in Columbus, and um, that made me realize I love speaking. I've always loved speaking since I was in high school. I had a state uh, officer position, and I spoke a lot, and I spoke a lot at Georgia doing, you know, just club work or for, for family consumer science activities right. as a student. Right. I was involved as a student leader. I was an orientation leader at Georgia. So I had a lot of opportunities to speak, and I really enjoyed it. So I thought, why can't I just do this? Yeah, just making that connection. <laughs> I can see... Why you would enjoy that. Yes. So I started out small with my children small and teaching etiquette classes. And then as they grew, I could pull back on my business. And then when they graduated, I got pretty much into full speed with it because I enjoy being involved in the community and in my professional life. So that's kind of how, where we got to that point with my business. Then I changed the name. When the internet came on the scene... I needed to be more with it. And so I got a website, and I changed it to Be a Star with Stella because my name means star. And you can use that. You see my house is full of stars. But you can use that so well when you're motivating people. Reach for the stars. Shine like a star. Right. Our children got little gold stars as right. they were coming along. So it's, it's so easy. ingrained in it's us so already. It's so easy to. That's and, wonderful. And, and being a star with Stella basically means let me coach you to be your best self, to find, right. to find your, you. yes, to find your gifts, to find your attributes and develop those God-given gifts and the ones that you've also developed through the years. You've give, taken your God-given gifts and you've developed them. Be what you want to be. Be your best self pretty much and that's kind of been what I've been doing is coaching people to find that confidence in themselves to be what they want to be whether it's professionally or just as a person yeah that's fabulous can you think of a an example of somebody that you can can talk through of um they came to you with a goal and maybe even that goal changed (laughs) as as you progress through does anything come to mind so many oh I know there probably are so many or a real success story that you just want to shout from the mountaintop one of my greatest success stories was that my friend from my college years has a severely impaired hearing son he had graduated from college but he was not able to get a job he couldn't find a job because he um was as we said, severely hearing impaired. And so I coached him, and he was able to get a job. To me, that was one of my greatest successes. Another one recently has been that um, a young woman came, young woman's mother came to me 
and asked me if I would coach her for her valedictorian speech. She had never spoken in public. She was quite shy about it. And I coached her, and the night that she spoke, her mom said, I didn't recognize my child up there. She was so poised and so well-spoken in her speech. And now she's just set the woods on fire in at UGA. She's traveled abroad. She's doing great in her sorority. She's doing great in her academics. She's just everything. And we would sit down together and say, okay, what are your short-term goals? What are your long-term goals? Well, obviously, she wanted to go to UGA. She wanted to study international affairs. She wanted to travel. She's doing all of those things. You have to visualize what you want. And I do vision boards with people. We just cut and paste and put them on the vision board. I've done them for myself. Oh, I've done them with my clients. It's, it's a lot of fun because you put down what you want to be. Who is, who, who is the me I want to be? And we are constantly, as women, reinventing ourselves because life is so full of demands, whether it's children, parents, teenagers, community. We have to balance. And, you know, I'm looking up there at that a beautiful painting that's on my wall, but it says you don't know how strong you can be until being strong is your only option. It's done by a cancer survivor. And it that. spoke to me greatly because I have been through some hard times in my life and losing my husband and um, my parents and care caregiving for elderly people. I mean, you know, you, you have to balance all types of life sometimes, and I've had some physical issues myself. Sometimes those just intervene and come, in, come into our lives when we least expect it. So I think if we all have visions of what we want to be at every stage of our life, and we, you, if you look around my house, you'll see that it's just full of motivational quotes. Yeah, they're quotes and beautiful artwork. I mean, that that you're talking about yes. is a real simple, delicate flower. Yes, it is. So you can see how it would be tossed about if you didn't grab on to the words. I think of it like a daisy that comes through the cracks, a, 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 something that, that comes out of the hard times. And that particular artist is a cancer survivor. He quit his corporate job and, and decided he wanted to do what he wanted to do and paint. And he puts motivational quotes on his artwork. All of my art in my house is done by friends or people that I have loved and admired. Uh, but the motivational quotes, not only because I coach here in my house with my clients. So it's, it's like they not only inspire my clients, but they inspire me. Because I'm very visual, and I need, there's one in there in my study that says, be the change you want to see in the world, or you be the change you want to see in the world. Then another one says, when you love what you have, you have all you need. So I try to coach myself right. <laughs> sometimes. Those are living words. But those those are two people. examples of, of success stories. Um, I have them all the time. I spoke with you about the young woman in Atlanta that I coached that was needing to develop her professional skills as a woman. She had great intellect, but she needed some help socially to be more assertive, to speak in front of the board that she was having to give reports to. She's quite a success story for me. I could, I could go on and on. You know, when you coach as long as I have, you have so many success stories. Many of my clients have become women clients. I have men too, like the the young man that I was telling you about that was right. hearing impaired. 
But so many of my clients have become doctors, lawyers. I've, they've asked me to direct their weddings. I mean, you know, once you coach someone on a personal level and you get to know them and they get to know you, you really become lifetime friends. And I get Christmas cards from all, all kinds of people that have been, that I've coached in my life. And they become friends. Well, it sounds, too, that it's a bit, it could be overwhelming and could really tear your heart at times. I have gotten too involved sometimes, I suppose, but uh, that's just me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I can't help it. You know, you I want love, to march I'm, into the boardroom and say, this is what should be happening in here. <laughs> so. Well, I've been very blessed to serve on some boards. And let me, let me tell you, I have learned a lot. I think we have to continue to learn throughout our lives. And being on the U- University of Georgia Alumni Board and being on the Board of Trustees with the Georgia Women of Achievement, I have been very privileged to sit on boards with quite outstanding people and very smart people. And and especially I love the smart women, although I re- ex- respect the smart men. But it's so awesome for me to sit on a board with the president of Wesleyan College and the vice president of Mercer and the alumni, advi- uh, alumni um, executive director of UGA. I mean, uh, and these are women and men of all ages. So I've learned so much, and I've been very privileged to serve with these people. And, and I will say locally, too. Your, your daughter, Becca, and I are very blessed to be able to serve on some of these boards with the, the people, the movers and shakers of Cordell, um, that have vision for our community, that want it to be a better place. Yeah, I've are, been very impressed. That bring art, take art into the schools. We have a, a poverty level here. We need to reach out to those children and help them know that they can, they can develop their talents and they can make it, even though sometimes it's very hard. I have another success story I just thought about. Uh, this football player that played at Mercer, a friend of mine, brought him to me. He, he was finishing his master's, had played football at Mercer. He is from Cordell. Um, he is a success story by himself without me but he was interviewing for a big job and this lady who had been his mentor in Cordell brought him to me to coach for his job he got the job I told him that he needed to be he needed to be a motivational speaker and go into the schools and show what what a uh, someone that perhaps weren't wasn't as privileged as some other people in Cordell with the help of mentors he has become a very successful person in his own right, but we all have to have help. And one of the themes of all my speeches that I, when I try to do is to, to tell people how important it is to be a mentor. We did yeah, that. Go we down did, that path for me. Oh, I, I certainly will. I was very fortunate and blessed to have so many wonderful mentors in my life in my family and at Georgia at UGA and then professionally my first boss was a very strong woman intelligent woman a woman of vision I was so blessed my major professor at Georgia had a huge impact on my life and thankfully I was able to tell her that before she passed away that how much she had meant to me but I think it's very important for women and men to mentor younger people because it helps them to become who they need to be and who they want to be. So we had a program at Georgia. They still have it, and I mentored quite a few students at Georgia. Um, And I I, I think I mentor 
almost without thinking about it. Oh, yeah. It's a <laughs> part of your personality. I really do. I like to take on younger people. In fact, it keeps me young, for one right, thing, right. to hang out with younger people. But I think it's so important for us, whether it be in, in our community, in our college, in our church, wherever, to take on younger people to help them find the path that's right for them. Sometimes we move away from our parents. I was in Calhoun without any parents as a young adult, and I had mentors there. Uh, but I think it's so important for us to to help others to to find the path that they want and just to be an encouragement to others. Well, it grows that whole relationship. And when you mentor, then the mentee will ultimately become a mentor because they've benefited from it so, so that's greatly. right that's right and it's not you're not alone you're you when you have a mentor there's an investment that's being made into you and I think that's power I think that really gives our youth today our young professionals I've about concluded that the most difficult time in life is coming out of college and going into the young professional world because you no longer have a self-made group that you can just kind of drift along with and be okay. Yes. And um, so I appreciate just from a parent having mentors like you pouring into mine. Um, but but it, it does make a difference. And that seems to be, again, you just have a thread that goes through your your life that is, is a, a giving and a, a growing. Thank you. So... Um, well, now your your own you were raised here in Cordell, mm-hmm. and so do you see that the way that you were raised had a huge influence oh, on your being who pretty, I am? Yeah, oh, absolutely. I was very blessed to have two wonderful grandparents. I didn't know my grandfather on my daddy's side. He died before. My father's father died before I was born, but I had two very strong grandmothers, one grandfather that I did know. He passed away when I was 15. A huge extended family here in Cordell of cousins and aunts and uncles. I just lost an aunt last week. Actually, her her service was Sunday. She had tremendous influence on my life. She was a speech teacher, and she taught me to speak. And, uh, and I went on and did it professionally, and I think of her every day. She was so full of life and so enthusiastic and wonderful she was a great mentor and then I had some great aunts that were professional women they were teachers but they had their their master's degrees and uh, they had tremendous influence on my life so absolutely yes and I, I wanted to talk a little bit about the Georgia Women of Achievement I, yes I definitely uh-huh. want to, to we hear are, about that. well the reason is because it kind of ties into the mentoring thing in right. a way but we honor women that have passed away that are trailblazers in Georgia. Rosalind Carter and Mrs. Nunn and some others started this 25 years ago from visiting Alabama and seeing the Hall of Fame of women in Alabama. And Mrs. Carter came back and said... Georgia doesn't have anything like this. We don't have anything to honor women of our past. So we honor, every year we induct three or four women that are nominated from different communities in Georgia. Now we have the ones you would think, like the Juliet Gordon Lowe, Margaret Mitchell, 
of Celestine Sibley, all of those that are in the history books, but we also honor those that are not in the history books. Right. So the many African American African American women that were not that were not known of what they did until many many years later. Uh, so every year in in the uh, Women's History Month in March, we induct three or four people into this Hall of Fame. It's online. It's called the Georgia Women of Achievement. We didn't call it the Hall of Fame because we want we want people to know that these women achieved in their in their local communities as well as the state, and that's the board that I sit on. That's made up of all these women and men um, to help carry that out. We want our long term goal is to get it into the schools, to get it into the capital. It's online, and you know we want people just to we want the teachers to help to understand that these students, when they're writing or, or researching these women, can go on our website. The um, Georgia Public Television helps us do kind of like a Ken Burns video of all of these women oh how fabulous and that's been in the last 10 years and the ones before that were just kind of done independently so now we're trying to go back and get all those that we didn't have the maybe a video on we are trying to create a video for these women and we want the younger women and men of georgia boys and girls of georgia to know the great history that we have from these women of our past that have made our state what it is today. So we want, in turn, these young women to know that they can be these same trailblazers in their lifetime as these older women were. And it's a fascinating study oh, because I can't because wait to so look. many of these women had great adversity that they had to overcome. It was not in a time when women could do everything they wanted to do and be everything they wanted to be. And yet these women trailblazed right on through that and became history makers of Georgia. So I'm very, very proud of that organization that I'm a part of. And and it goes and when I spoke to this group as the keynote speaker before I got on the board, I talked about that, that we need to we need to mentor young women as older women or middle-aged women or whatever, what kind, whatever wherever we, want, wherever wherever we are in our age span, yeah. to, to mentor young women so that yeah. they know that they can become everything they want to be. Right. And at the same time, respect a little bit of the trailblazing. Absolutely. We have opportunities today that they didn't have. just weren't there. No. And speaking so. of one of my great aunts that I used in my speech, she was a Wesleyan graduate, Wesleyan College graduate. She graduated in the well she started in 1918 and graduated I think in 22 but she was there when the women got the right to vote and she was a history teacher and I said in my speech she lived to be 96 she never missed an opportunity to vote if she couldn't go she'd vote by absentee but she had been a part of that history of the suffragettes that were trying to get the right to vote. Could you imagine? We can't even imagine. Young women now can't imagine that women didn't have the right to vote. Well, I had the privilege of going into my mom's retirement village and talking to some of the ladies there. And the accomplishments that they had had to their name astonished me because I knew it wasn't a typical thing that could, like education was not typical 
for so many, but yet they would have their masters. And I would go, I know. how did you, there was one lady who um, became a pilot 60 years ago. And I'm like, that's just not what women were doing. And she said, well, my husband and I owned a, an airport. He died. I wasn't going to be around men who could fly and I couldn't. Yeah. And so it was, I find, and you probably can, can attest to this, it was out of need that so many of the trailblazers would would accomplish. That's very true. Would, would That's very true. But uh-huh. we haven't changed very much from that. No. Much of what we do, our balancing act, is yes. out of need. Yes. So do you find that in your coaching, too, that as you're trying to inform of the past, that, that the current needs kind of yes. direct? I, I so I certainly do. I, I've talked a lot about coaching young people, but I've coached women that have been in transition. Either their husbands have passed away and they want to get back in the job market, redefine themselves. They're empty nesters. They they have been. Uh, they feel their identity has been different. You know, as as a as a mom, or they've been divorced. I've coached many women through divorces that needed to find themselves again because they were alone whether they be widowed or divorced they're alone and their things change you know yes I mean my own life I have to do everything by myself now because I'm a widow and that's a different role than I had because I loved being a wife and mother I, I loved that I still love being a a mother and a grandmother but yes I think that women and that's what we said when we started this conversation we have to constantly reinvent ourselves based on our need based on our life changes and there are a lot of women that started out new careers at 50 and 60 lots of them and I and I amazing it's true though (laughs) and if you look at our our Georgia women of achievement so many did it later in life, really? even though they might have done it early in life, or they may have changed. Uh, Juliet Gordon Lowe, for example, she was an amazing fundraiser for the Girl Scouts. I didn't know this until I studied her. I was a Girl Scout all of my life, from brownies to senior Girl Scout. I knew all about Juliet Gordon Lowe. No, I did not. <laughs> as, I, as I researched her, I realized that she was a fabulous uh, fundraiser and she was a woman and she had to go into these groups and get most of the money probably from men at that time right. so we are, yeah, there's, we, yeah we've all been we are always been the same we just the challenges sometimes are a little different yeah so on the women of achievement do you think that is there an ambassador that goes into the schools we're trying to do that this is a total volunteer organization okay. we have we don't have an executive director it's all and every woman that serves and man we have two men they're all very busy people right like so I said one's the president right. of Wesley and one's the vice president of Mercer we have uh, a new member that helped raise money for the University of Alabama she's now moved back to Athens so these are all very busy women and yes what we are trying to do is each take the challenge to do that to go speak to eighth grade we think middle school is a really good time because they usually are writing papers and essays and we also uh, I'm on the development committee Uh, we are also raising money for 
our cause so that we can get these films developed. They, they're costly. Now, they Georgia costly. Public Television gives us a good rate, but they're costly to produce. So we need money, as right. does every I know. volunteer, nonprofit in. organization needs money. But we all give some as directors. We also have a sponsors that come and give. We have past directors and trustees that are still involved. But, um, yes, we have to do it ourselves. And we, we've had some interns from the different colleges that have been very helpful. Oh, yeah. Especially with social media. Oh, I know. They can <laughs> These push young it out people there. are so good at it. Yeah, but that would be good because they, if you've got somebody that's a – a historian or a storyteller or you know that would be a a great way for them to learn and launch content well we invite the content yes we invite people to go to the website georgia women of achievement we uh, invite them to come to our induction ceremony in march at wesleyan college we induct we have a usually a wonderful keynote speaker we had kathy cox a year ago who is now the president of, of, of law school, the law, Mercer Law School in Macon. So we, we have great speakers, and we have um, a wonderful time getting together and celebrating the lives of these women that we're honoring. That's great. Um, so let's talk a little bit more about um, your kids and raising your children. You had the balancing act of you know, remaining professional and then pulling back just a little bit and then... But what kind of lessons were you <laughs> on your forefront mind in raising your children? Well, first let me say I had I had a wonderful time raising my two sons. I had to learn a lot about sports because I was a majorette and played in the band. How were you? Uh-huh. And both my boys were athletic, are athletic, and um, – I loved being a part of their lives from the time they were born until I still am. I mean, I talked to my son, William, yesterday. I talked to Palmer the day before. We are very close. And uh, I loved raising my kids. I loved it. I, I enjoyed being a mom. And I was lucky enough because of Bill's profession that I could do my profession come and go. I, I, I didn't have to. I chose. I chose not to work full-time because it, it was just too hard I tried it yeah <laughs> and I had to, and I thought I it's better for me to have my own business so I could have more control right I enjoyed being um involved in all the booster clubs raising money for the schools that was fun for me I loved being the football mom and the yeah. basketball mom and the baseball mom and well, they were all business and they were all, right there. well that's right I learned a lot <laughs> I, I, I learned a lot from that but also my boys both of them were in the chorus and um palmer concentrated more on sports william was in the show choir and the and the chorus and played football at the same time but they each had different interests and yet they had similar interests so i i loved being a mom and i was blessed i had good friends i made good friends with the other parents that were also raising kids at that time. And, and another big, huge part of our lives was the church. We were very involved in our church. We, we sat together as a family every Sunday. A lot of the kids sat in the balcony, but my boys sat with us. And I'm so grateful that we had that foundation because I think if I could tell anything to young parents, please take 
the time and take your children and belong to a church because it's a good foundation. Well, that I think that parents are looking for advice. Sometimes we um, might be looking for easy answers, but it sounds to me like you're talking about time, investment, and, and creating your community. So I think we talked a little bit earlier, sometimes your communities change. So as you were a young parent, you looked for that community and found it. Yes. So would you, how would you tell a, a young parent, young professional to really seek that community out? I know I hear you say church and that relationship, but is there more that they can actively do? That, that's a hard question. I think these days, and I see this with my clients, I think that there are so many pressures now. I think that social media, internet, just cell phones, we, we just are so busy. And w- I was teaching a class to, to young people, uh, young kids, and I was talking about cell phone etiquette. And this one child said to me, you need to tell my mom that. I think that we have to remember as parents that they are, we are their role models. The children that live with us in our home that we love so dearly are watching us every time we do anything, whether it's in our speech or whether it's in our cell phone behavior or whether it's watching too much television. I think the greatest need for parents this day, and I certainly tried to do it with my two boys, is keep the communication open. I have a speech called Positive Parenting that I do sometimes for PTA groups and uh, or whatever they're called now, PTOs, yeah. uh, parent school yeah, organizations. organizations. That's right. Okay. Um, it's very important to praise your children and to keep those lines. Sometimes it's tough. You have to talk, keep those communication lines open. And you don't start when they're 17. You start when they are two or one or when they first start speaking. You continue to let them know that you can talk to me about anything at any time. I think that's so very important. And I, it's hard for me to give advice to young mothers at this point because their lives are so full. But I think I would say put the cell phones in a basket when you sit down and eat. People aren't eating together as a family anymore. That's where good communication. Ha- Tell me about your day. What happened today? That distresses me. I think more than anything that that families are not eating together. They're 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 running here. They're running there. They're picking up fast food. They're 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 there's so many demands of young parents these days, and I think they just need to to slow down and to try to spend family time. I know my my sons are very into spending time with their families, and they're they're challenged too because raising kids in this environment right now is very difficult. But you have to make it a priority of spending time together, and sometimes you have to say no to the community demands because any group that you're involved in in the community is going to need a lot of your time. So again, it's that, it's that balance, and you just have to work at it. There are certainly seasons, and you can give in some areas at various seasons and pull back in, in others. Um, one of the things that I thought about while you were talking is a lot of kids sometimes don't even know what their parents do. 
So when you're sitting around the table saying, tell me about your day, and then you can share some with your day, uh-huh. the exchange between the parent and the child, the child starts to understand a little bit of what the parent's doing. Now, you can't really you know, mind dump on them because that kind of makes them probably uneasy because I know that the pressures kind of get to a parent. But, but I've been amazed at some of my girls' friends who don't know what their fathers do or their mothers do when they go to work. Is it that something? It, it absolutely blew my mind because I guess a lot of times I get to involve my kids in my world or bounce an idea off or I don't know how to do something and they really do. Uh-huh. I mean, a spreadsheet Becca could do in her sleep. <laughs> I know. And I'm like, ah. Well, terrifying. that's so very true. I think one of the best things that's going on right now is this shadowing a lot. Shadowing other people. The young people in the school systems, I think here and other places, shadow other professionals. Say, for example, if you're in the seventh grade and you want to think, oh, I might want to be a dentist. Well, go shadow a dentist. Or I might want to be a motivational speaker. Come shadow me. Or I want to be a coach and help people learn to interview. Come shadow me. You could do the same thing. Have young people shadow you. I think it's very cool when people shadow their parents. Oh, (laughs) yeah. The bring your kid to work day, I thought was a great initiative. Now, my William has an office in America. He's a State Farm agent, and he has an upstairs office where his little girl goes and does her homework. Well, they are shadowing in a subway because I I go in, you know, and I tease her. I say, well, I'm here to get some insurance, Emily Claire. So she's seeing what her dad is doing that's great Uh uh-huh but I think that um we need to do more of that I think if if there is that much of a need that that children don't know what their parents are doing uh you need to you need to shout at your parents sometimes but I think back to the communication of talking around the dinner table is quite good we need to get back to that I don't have the answer of how to do it yeah, I know. That's a tough one. But the Family and Consumer Sciences, one of the initiatives that Becca works with is nutrition. Yes. And she will put together meals that are quicker than going through a drive through somewhere. Absolutely. And of course, healthier and, and all that. I think a lot of it is conscious living, mm-hmm. just consciously thinking this is what we need to do and this is how we'll do it. And we came from a sports family, so we were definitely – not at the dinner table all the time. Absolutely. But there are seven days in a week. Sure. So you can find something that you can can somehow land on. Yes, that's right. And and weekends can be very good um, for that downtime with families. I think when you live that busy life through the through the week. Or even just some of the sporting events. Um you can, can make that a part. We were talking to some college parents that were kind of struggling with their college kids going off. And they were thinking that they needed to be untouchables, that they've taken the kid to school. Now they're on their own. And I see you shaking your head, no. and yeah. So can you go there a little bit? Because oh, you're sure. seeing and coaching some of the young people yes. that are a result of being dropped off. Well, I think that parents continue to be involved. You don't have to go, you don't want to get in their space in college 
but you also, it's a great time because as parents, you are still young enough and they are old enough. Your parenting can kind of change. But I do think it's very important to stay involved. There are parent groups. UGA has them. I'm sure every college has them. Parent councils. They want parents to be involved. They want them to come visit. We were lucky that we had season tickets to Georgia, and we would go over and visit our children on the weekend. We didn't get in their way, right. but they knew we right. were there. They'd come have breakfast with us on Sunday. But again, I think it's just continuing to support your children in all phases of their lives. You have to let them go. You have to, you have to let them fly from the nest. It's, it's normal. They want to. <laughs> So many times when I'm coaching seniors in high school, they're like, Stella, I can't wait to get out of high school. I'm so ready to go to college. And I said, I understand. I know, because you can become yourself. It's hard, though, to live without your parents when you're used to them, but it's good, too. It's part of growing up. So I think parents can continue to to be involved, but not overly involved. Does that answer your question? It does. So there's like a blend. I mean, it's it's exactly the theme we've been talking about. You reinvent yourself. You... You have to change. You have to to make allowances for whatever the present is. My children would always tell me it was time to go. (laughs) (laughs) Well, hey, mom, bye, mom. Yeah, exactly. Mine will do that too. But you know, the other thing that we found we would do, we'd come into town and we would take whoever they wanted to bring to dinner. Yes. So we would wind up sometimes taking half a dozen kids or so. But it gave us a chance, really, and I wasn't conscious of this at the moment, but it gave us a chance to see who their friends were. Sure. And kind of make connections. So kind of became the parents of a lot of people, yes. a lot of kids. In and- fact, there were some some of William's friends at Georgia that, uh, and Palmer's too. I mean, all their friends really liked me and, and enjoyed me. And um, later on down the line, you know, they'd say, oh, you were such a fun parent or you were such a cool parent. Well, I think you have to realize that when they get to the college age, they are becoming basically who they're going to be the rest of their lives. They are becoming adults. And you need to be supportive. But that that concept of involving their friends is wonderful. I always wanted my home to be the place that all the friends came and felt welcome. And that was one of my goals. And it still is. I mean, I enjoy meeting my children's friends now. Oh, yeah. I'm that way, too. And we we live on property where there's some hunting and and we're on the lake. And I can go to bed and not be real sure who's going to be in in another bed or on the couch. And a lot of times, because they'll hunt, they come in late at night and they're on the couch. And then they're out before the sun comes up. So I love it too. Um, so are you a cook? Are you in the kitchen very much? Uh oh. <laughs> I was for a long, long time. Um, when you're raising boys, right. when you have three men in your house, they want a lot of meat and potatoes and vegetables. And I, I was a, because of my family consumer science background, I was trained in in that in nutrition as well. And uh, yes, but of course, life changes. Life stages change I live alone now I'm a widow and so I cook sometimes and I but I'm not cooking like I used to cook three meals a day for my family but um, I'm going out tonight to a friend's house and I'm taking an hors d'oeuvre I'm taking a cheese ball and some crackers so yeah I mean you know if when mom and daddy were living I do Thanksgiving over here and Christmas and I came from a great line of good cooks (laughs) 
both, you know, my mom was a great cook, but I don't cook as much as I used to, obviously, because I'm not raising children now. Yeah. Well, the kitchen sometimes becomes that center. Oh, it always is. Oh, it always is. Every time I ever had a party in Calhoun or here, everybody's always in the kitchen. I know. I wanted the biggest house place in my house to be the kitchen because they, no matter how hard you try to push them out of the kitchen, that's where everybody congregates. I think that's really a compliment though. I think that people enjoy being where you, where you are. And if you're cooking, they want to be right there with you. That's right. I find myself doing that in my children's home when I go visit my children. And uh, I find myself hanging out in their kitchen too. You know, it's kind of like the thing to do. I think it's a compliment really when people want to be in your kitchen. I I think so too. I've had recipes over the years that um, we've, we've made cinnamon rolls over and over and over and I can't tell you how many kids have come through and learned how to make them and then they're out there pushing them out and I I guess it's the it must be my love language of here I don't know what to do in your crisis but here here's a cinnamon (laughs) roll so it kind of works I have a friend that is the best pound cake cooker in the world and she always brings this fabulous pound cake right out of the oven she did it last week when my aunt passed away uh she wanted to send a pound cake to my aunt's family and i delivered it but that's her gift of love is that pound cake she's a great cook and but she's known for her pound cake and i told her that i could eat it morning noon and night that's right (laughs) hey it's got all the food groups some people you know we all have gifts Uh, and some people have the gift of just knowing how to cook wonderful things and when to bring them to other people and I think you're absolutely right I think that the gift of it doesn't necessarily have to be a pound cake or something that you cook but even a card you know or a phone call Um, I have a speech called take time for tea well it's really not taking time for tea although that's lovely to sit down with a cup of tea it's basically subtitled taking time for others and you can take time for others by a phone call, a note, a card, a quick visit, a prayer. There are all k- kinds of things you can do. It's not always about taking food. It can be anything that you feel that you can do to make other people happy. Yeah, it's making a connection in your own way. That's right. So when you're doing your coaching and, and working with somebody, do you have you had the experience where you kind of dig in and try and find their gifts absolutely how do you do that we make a list we start out by making a list now the first thing I have to do is get a trust relationship with them they have to know that I'm on their team that I'm there for them that everything they say to me is confidential that it doesn't leave the the walls of wherever I'm coaching you have to build a a trust, like in any relationship, professional relationship, when you're dealing with people and their issues or their needs. But we, we start with a list. What do you feel are your assets, your gifts? And they put them on a piece of paper. And I may have to help them pull those out. Yeah, people you know, don't always think like that. They don't think like that. And then another little game I play that's really nice is we take their name and we put a, a um, adjective by each letter. Say, for Stella, it would be an S. Um, I might be 
sparkly because <laughs> I'm a star yeah, or a T. I might be tactful or I might be another T word or E, enthusiastic or, I mean, I could go on and on. So it's fun. And especially yeah. with, it doesn't matter what your age, you take that name and you think of attributes. Another way I do it is through the vision board. What are you now? What do you want to be? Do you want to be to feel powerful? Do you want to be friendly? Do you want to be kind? Do you want to be more loving? Uh, I do them for myself every now and then because I want to to know what my goals are continuously. You put things on there that you like. Like I might do a yoga, put a yoga pose on there I can't do to challenge me to do that. Sometimes people will put their pets' pictures on there. Um, but those words, I, th- I think words are very powerful. And I think when you say them and when you see them, they become real. If you say, and I, and I use affirmations a lot, I am pretty, I am a good speaker, I am a good friend. I mean, I'm talking about my clients now, not right. necessarily me. Well, it all sounds really good about you if you well, want to no, use those no, too, but, but yeah. I'm not trying no, to talk about me. I'm trying to say that I would try to pull out of them things that they need to speak to make real about themselves um i don't allow any negativity at all i don't allow a client to talk negative about themselves or about others i try to be positive and help them to focus on the positive parts of life and when you're talking about the i am statements we all make those anyway we make those statements, whether we say them out loud or not. Yes. And so making positive I am statements, I think could, if that becomes the habit, then that's the tape that gets played. That's right. So is that your goal? Yes. I try to say visualize yourself the way you want to be. What do you want to become? If it, Let's just say, for example, if I'm coaching for self-confidence, that's a whole that's a lot of what I've just talked about, finding your gifts and developing them and self-talk to yourself in a positive way. Don't hang out with negative people. Hang out with people that lift you up. Uh, if it's an interview situation, I try to practice interview questions that they could answer in a good way. I have a formula for that of how you do a good answer to a question. Um, and then how do you bridge your experience, even if it's volunteerism in college, or maybe you haven't had a, maybe you've had internships, but you've never had a real paying job. You've got to bridge to all those experiences, whether it's being a um, coach on a little league team as an assistant, or maybe working in someone's office. You've got to bridge what you've done with the job that you're being interviewed for. You have to sell yourself, and you have to be truthful, but you also have to be creative in, well, what have I done? Same thing with a woman going back into the workforce that maybe hadn't worked full-time job in a while. What have you done on the volunteer level? What have you done in your home? What are your skills? How can you bridge that to your job that you're being interviewed for? I'm a really good interview coach. I am. I I, I, I am because it's it's experience. I've learned – I've learned a lot, but I also know that an interview is an interview. It doesn't matter. I, I've coached a lot of people for medical school, dental school, uh, physical therapy school, pharmacy school, 
these professional schools now, law school, these professional schools all have interviews. And so many times the person interviewing is not prepared for the interview. They may have a fabulous resume, but they don't know how to speak to a person that they are that is interviewing them. And it takes practice. You have to practice over and over and over to get that confidence. And I've had to reinvent myself in my interview coaching too, because sometimes they just have a computer interview them. Right. You're just looking into the inter- you're looking into the computer, and they're putting up the questions. It's not a person like you and I are talking now. There are different kinds of interviews. There's a one-on-one interview. There's a panel interview where you have more than one person interviewing you. So it really doesn't matter if you're trying to get to be an orientation leader at a college or get an internship or be on the ARCH Council, which is made up of students that are working for the university in an ambassador kind of situation. An interview is an interview. You've got to sell yourself, and you've got to have the confidence to present yourself, and it takes a it takes practice. And it's not just a regurgitation of your resume. Oh, absolutely I mean, that, not. That it's it's interpreting the skill set that came off of that resume, maybe. Yes, and then another thing that people are quite intimidated by is what I call the "what if" questions. What if you're presented with this situation? What are you going to do? And believe it or not, I have the star. The star, my star, as my, is that would be an acronym? The situation, the task at hand, the action, and then the result. Very good. So you have to think like that when you, that's the most intimidating, are those what if questions, or tell me a time when. Tell me a time when you had to take over when other people were not pulling their weight. It could be in a college environment where you have a group project. It could be the last job you had where you had to work as a team and several people weren't pulling their weight. So uh, tell me a time that you didn't feel that you were ethical, that your boss was not on the same page with you ethically. How did you handle that? I mean, there, there's some really deep, hard questions. And they are hard because initially it's the blame or the finger pointing, which is an immediate exit what in the makes interview. a good leader what makes a good leader i had i coached a, a young woman for an executive position at one of the uh, ca- carpet industries up in calhoun she asked me to come coach her because i had coached her earlier in her life and she had this huge job interview by several of the vice presidents of the company and she was a little intimidated by that. And we had to go over, let's think of your success stories in your other jobs because they're going to ask you, what do you feel is your most successful in this, that, or the other? And we just, I pulled them out of her. I said, tell me when you felt that you had done a good job. Tell me a time you felt that maybe you didn't do a good job and it wasn't your fault or was it was your fault. You know, you got to think about all those situations that you've been in before and kind of have them in your head so that you can answer there this is another little tidbit hint from Stella you can have the same answer for a lot of different questions and you have to control the interview now you think well that's crazy how can I control the interview when I'm being interviewed well you see that tiny little window of opportunity to push what you want to say you did well or a situation that you 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 just do it you just go for it and you have to be you have to practice that we all have 
you know, the old story about tell me your story, like you've asked me to do today, tell right. me your story. Yeah. Well, we're all full of stories. Right. And I always say, if you can tell a story, whether, it's a, whether you're speaking or whether you're in an interview, if you tell a story about a growth that you've had, you always want to tell how you grew from it or what you learned from it. The person that's listening, whether it's an audience or an individual, they're going to remember your story. That's true. They will. How long does it take to <laughs> coach somebody like that? the young lady you were talking about for that position? I mean, I well, know you had a base very, to start she with She was very, anyway. very bright, and she had worked in the carpet industry before. She had just been in a different place. Yeah. And uh, to, uh, that's, a, that's a great question, and I'm going to try to answer it well. To help her believe in herself again, that was the real that was the real issue. Okay. She had we had to we had to we had to help her remember the stories that she had had in various jobs that were successful that maybe she would do differently next time and just basically to believe in herself and her ability to do a good job in the interview. Well so it depends on the person how quickly they can access those files. That's right. If of I were going to interview, if I were going to uh, coach a, a person, say for an internship that had never really had one, I had one this summer that actually I had coached her before, and she was trying for an internship with Fox in New York. She got the job, and it was just a matter of getting back on the bicycle, getting her confident again in herself. But she, I'm not sure she's she's had several jobs like working for her dad and other friends, but not a real job because she's been at, she was at the University of Alabama, actually. And so I had coached her back when she was in high school. She came back. Same thing with another young woman who was trying to be get a job at Emory um, in administration. I had coached her earlier in her life. She came back. She drove all the way down here from Atlanta to Cordell for me to coach her. So somebody that's starting a job and somebody that's been in a job for a long, long time, let's just say – a 22-year-old versus a 45-year-old, it's going to be a little tiny bit different. Right. So, so each client is different, and each circumstance is different. So I have to kind of figure out what's best for that person. Just like any coach, if you're a baseball coach or a tennis coach, you're going to have to look, what are their, what are their skills, where do they need to go? And it's the same thing. When, a coach is a coach. Do you handle some of the coaching situations online or is it always pers in person no I do a lot of telephone coaching I do uh, I can do uh, FaceTime I can do Skype those types of things I can hear I have to always see them in person I, I mean I don't always have to I coached a lawyer from Texas I coached a, a student from Berkeley who was trying to get into law school over here in Ath uh, in well, he ended up going to Duke, but I was coaching him for a lot of different interviews. Very, very bright young man. I only met him one time. The The young man, the lawyer that I was coaching for another job, I had coached his brother. I never, ever really met him in person. We did over-the-phone uh, FaceTime thing. I can hear the answers better if I'm listening over the phone. I can teach the body language, the eye contact, and all that pretty quickly if I'm with a person. Right. 
I prefer to do it one-on-one. But now in the days of the internet, I can coach from here, anywhere. Exactly. Uh-huh. And, and you so, get yes. the eye contact Correct. through a Zoom or a Skype or something. Not, it's not as effective, though. Oh, yeah. I don't. I think that goes back to technology's great, but you will not lose that human connection. Actually, I, I so enjoy meeting the person in person. I have done that a lot. I have coached, taught them the basics, got them on the interview skills, basics, maybe three or four times on the phone, and then I want to see them in person because then I can I can polish the silver. If you if you if you'll let us use the silver analogy, I can polish the silver. I can tweak it. I can say you need to do this. You need to do that. Don't fidget with your hands. Keep your eyes on me. Give me a smile. Think about that question a tiny bit before you answer it. Oh, that's a great question. I have to think about that a minute. Or, you know, I've never thought about it that way. When you give those little things like that, the brain starts working, and you can think of the answer. But I love to coach. I love to coach long distance. I love to coach in person. I, I just love it. Well, I can see the passion. And, <laughs> and I actually have found myself a lot of times in interviewing I'll take my eyes up away, but I have found that that I almost feel drawn that I have to look you in the eye when we're talking. Well, it takes a lot of discipline. It does, and I and because I'm alone a lot, and my business is out of the house a lot, that unless I am in a a meeting performance mode, I'm doing fifty other things sometimes. That's right. While I'm talking because I'm not face to face. Yes. So it, it is a practice. <laughs> it is definitely a practice. Well, I try to I try to really focus on what I'm doing at the time because I multitask a lot, as you can just imagine. Just what you just said. You know, you get distracted easily. But when I'm with a client, and it's exhausting, I'll tell you, it's exhausting. Yeah. If I coach three people in a row, I'm I'm exhausted because I have to give so much of myself. It's right. like it's like being a performer. Because if you give me an answer and I think that's not quite right, I'm going to say, wait a second, let's change it to this. I mean, you know, it's always, it's very active. It's an, it's an intellectual thing for me. It's a challenge for me to help my client be their very best. And I want them to be overprepared so that they come out saying, that was a piece of cake. <laughs> they didn't ask me one question you had already asked me. Now, I can't always anticipate every question. But like I said, you can have the same answer for a lot of different questions. So if right. you know kind of what you want to say in the interview, you can find a way to get it in. And they always at the end say, is there anything else you'd like to tell us or any questions you have of us? I always tell my clients, absolutely yes. You you have some questions of them, and you tell them something that perhaps they didn't ask that you wish they had. That's a hard one to prepare for, but it's it's very important. Well, it shows preparation, which yes. is a skill in itself that a lot of companies or individuals look for. You also talked earlier about etiquette and working with someone with table etiquette. That might be a lost art. And so what? why do you think that's even important? Wow. Well, I'll speak... The words of my client that I'm coaching right now, she doesn't want to be embarrassed in a social situation that she doesn't know how to handle. She's a young professional woman. 
She knows she needs to know these skills. I have actually had to take a client to a restaurant in Atlanta and coach them on table etiquette because they were being interviewed over dinner. It's not about the eating. Right. It's about the performance of how you answer questions or have a social experience for a job. So oftentimes, people are asked to entertain other people in their job, whether it's taking them to dinner or taking them to play golf, you know, whatever. You, you've got to know how to behave or perform in social situations. And I think in today's world, people don't know exactly the way to do that. And I think that etiquette needs to come back. I think good manners is good common sense. It's okay for a man or a woman to open the door for someone else. It's okay to say please and thank you and excuse me. I try to start with the kids. I teach etiquette to all ages, but it's so easy to teach young people because it gets in their brains, and they always enjoy it. The little boys will come up and say, I thought you were going to be some mean old lady. You're a lot of fun. (laughs) That's quite a compliment. So I try to have games for them to play. It depends. I've done... um, I've done etiquette for adults, I've done etiquette for children, I've done etiquette for Girl Scouts, I've done etiquette for the Art Center here. We do it quite often. Tried to do it at least once a year. I've been to Moultrie, Georgia, to their Art Center down there, teaching manners. Um, One of my clients a long time ago was at a big fancy wedding, and I was there too, and she came over and she said, Stella, I'm so glad you taught me which fork and spoon to use. I'm the only person at my table that knows. And, you know, sometimes we are put in situations that are a bit formal, and we need to know. I say it's better to know the rules and break them than not know the rules at all. I like that. Mm -hmm. I remember years ago, IBM was like the big company in my area in in Research Triangle Park in, in North Carolina. And they would do interviews to watch you over dinner to watch you, did you pick up the salt and just salt everything before you ventured in to see what the plate was like? Yes. And so there are a lot of little hidden skills to how you perform in eating. And, um, And I think that going back to what we talked about before, not being around the table, not, not engaging in conversation, those are, skills that we probably all need to practice a bit more. That's right. I actually know, I did not coach this young man, but I actually know of a a young man that did not get a job that he wanted because he, he did not pass the test of going out to dinner. You know, you don't want to talk with your mouth full. You don't want to have too much alcohol. You don't want to do things that would be a lasting bad impression right and and i i have a a, a course called first impressions because first impressions are made instantly i think in the first 30 seconds of their of the time you meet someone it's very important to have that eye contact that smile be gracious don't talk too much be a good listener i think that's probably one of the greatest things that we need to do more of is be good listeners 
my children remind me of that all the time. <laughs> Mom, you're not listening. <laughs> uh, I find out that I might not be listening, even though I go, oh, yes. yes. <laughs> they can tell, though. My children can tell. They're, I guess they're like me, and they have that intuitive sense of, you know, whatever. Right. They can tell when I'm not giving them me their full attention, even well, I, on the telephone. Oh, even on the phone. I can remember, you know, as a parent of a young child, the first thing to do is get them to look at you to stop whatever behavior or change, whatever. That's, that's right. I don't think that's changed any from toddlerhood to adulthood. No. I, I do, uh, because so much of my work is confidential, and I think I told you this on the phone, if you look at my Facebook page, uh, you will see a lot of etiquette because now if a client says, oh, sure, Stella, put me on your Facebook page, I'm a success story. And sometimes right. moms will do that. Right. Moms will give me a really good report. She did, uh, you could look at my Facebook page and see that, you know, Stella changed my child's life. She did a fabulous job. Right. Hats off to her or whatever. But I just, uh, when you have a business that's confidentiality based, you have to be careful about yeah. showcasing clients unless it's there with their permission right and you're kind of behind the scenes the wind beneath their wings to kind of yes. get them where they want to be yes and I, I guess nobody or some people you don't want to say i really didn't have this skill until i started until you reach a certain level maybe correct that you can well some people don't want it. to let anyone else know that they're being coached and yeah. i certainly respect that and I would never, ever showcase anyone unless they asked me right. if they gave me permission. Just like the young lady that got the job at Fox in New York. She was like, yes, for, for sure. Tell everybody I got that job because of you. Yeah. But I didn't have a picture of her, and I'm not sure I ever did it. But she gave me permission to do it. And there was a young man who got, he has a degree in risk management from UGA. He got a job, and his picture is on there because he said I couldn't have done it without Stella. So every every person's different. Right, and their needs are different. Sure, and that's fine with me. I don't mind being behind the scenes. Is there any course that you don't teach? I mean, it just seems like almost everything we're talking about, the topics come up, and you've already thought through and designed something for that. It, has anything caught you off guard that you're like, whoa, I need to go back to my lab and put something together for this because I'm seeing the need? Oh, I definitely think that's true right now because the social media has changed everything so drastically. Um, a lot of people don't know all the things I do because I'm a busy person with family, community, church, professional life. So I'm, I'm constantly looking for ways to market myself. And, um, and, and, you know, people just come to me. For example, the young woman that I was telling you, the young woman that wants to know a little bit more about etiquette, she just came to me. Her aunt knew that I did this, and she said, I'll pay for it. She wants to do it. And honestly, I'm, I'm just so fond of this young woman, and I'm excited about coaching her. So it's it's basically word of mouth, I think. Um, it it just depends on the circumstances of what people need. I'm always I love a challenge. I love to I love. For I guess people. that's it. You step up to the challenge. I love just like the the UGA speech about the 100 years of family consumer science. I had to do a lot of research on that. Oh, yeah. The Georgia Women of Achievement keynote. I had to do a There's lot of women. I had to do a lot of research on that. So yes, I. I'm constantly challenged, but I like challenges. 
when you do your research, how do you do it? Are you using Google Scholar or doing field research? Or I know I guess it depends on the project. But well, yes. You sound like you have research skills. Well, no, I really don't. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. Sold it well. It sounded like it. I did have a research class at UGA for my graduate work. I learned a lot from it. No, most of the research I did for family and consumer science uh, history was going back to, I went to the website, of course. I went to old magazines that I'd kept from uh, alumni magazines that had lots of things in there. The Georgia Women of Achievement, I just got on their website and looked up all those women that I wanted to talk about. And the ones that were being inducted, I had to, you know, obviously read the bios of the ones that the people that had nominated them. And then you, the challenge when you're speaking is get your research, but you've got to give a challenge at the end. You've got to leave them with a challenge. Where do we go from here type of thing? How, how is this going to change you? How, what are you going to do? And a lot of times they'll give you that topic like they did. They said, we want you to talk about the, 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 the past of facts, but we want you to talk about the next hundred years. Where are we leaping from into that? Same thing with Georgia Women of Achievement. These women were fabulous, but what are you going to do with your life to make your impact on the world? So you have to always leave, I think, <laughs> speech, according to Stella, speech giving according to tell. I think you have to leave the audience with the challenge. What I want them to say is, wow, was she not great? I don't want them to say, I didn't think she was ever going to finish. <laughs> you got to know your audience. You got to keep it short. You got to keep it as an inspirational. There you go. That's what I want to say. Inspirational. Yeah. So let's jump. We've talked a lot, but I want to jump a couple other places before we okay. wrap up. Okay. Um, do you love to travel? What do you do when you're not coaching and working and being involved with the the children? Are you? What's your? Oh my goodness! Passion. Well, I have. I would say that I right now at this stage of my life, I I really enjoy being with with my family. I've lost my mom and my dad in the last five years. I've lost my husband. So I'm focusing, I like to focus on my children and my grandchildren. I have great friends. Um, I don't really know exactly where to go with that answer. I think I'm, I'm kind of a giving person. I enjoy people a lot. And I don't particularly, at this point in my life, a lot of my friends are traveling. I feel like I have so much to do here that I need to focus here. I don't mean just Cordial, Georgia. I mean, my organizations that I'm a part of, the boards I serve on, require an awful lot of responsibility. So I'm not quite ready to leap off and travel the world right now. A lot of my friends are doing that. My sister and my brother-in-law are going to Portugal the 1st of October. They love to travel, but they, and they're going to change too, because they've just gotten two grandchildren and things are going to change. You know, our, our, our stages in life change. So I guess right now I'm just ready to leap off and do some more with my business and, and, uh, enjoy my family. That's, 
and because I do have a special needs grandson, and I do have two precious little girls that are over in America that I enjoy going to their sporting events. Right now, I'm, I'm much more focused on that than I am traveling the world. Yeah. Well, it's like you say, your goals and your directions and what your needs are at the moment change. And, um, and it's good that you get to invest. I mean, that's what you're really doing is investing time. So, um, well, if we talk about mentoring, and, and I talked to, when we first started this interview, I told you how important my grandparents and extended family and aunts and uncles had been to me. I want my grandchildren to remember me and to know me in the best way they can as children who I am, because I want to impact their lives like my grandmothers and aunts and uncles did for me. I want to pass it on to the next generation I want them to remember me as a fun, and I think they do, as a fun, as what, as, as Emily Claire told me a lot long ago, you're the with it grandmother. <laughs> I'd say that's a pretty high compliment. I thought from. that was pretty yeah, cool. I loved that. Yeah, I, I like loved that, that. I love, I love both my granddaughters. I want them to be, and they will be, empowered women. They have a fabulous mother uh, who is a great role model. But I think that that is about the best thing we can do is pass it on and, and, and instill in these young girls that, that, that they can be anything they want to be and that they can balance it in a good way. Is there anything that we have not touched on that you want to make sure that we did touch on um, that you just have so many facets of your life? that I think people can glean information that can help them go forward. But I don't want to miss anything, and I know we're probably going to have to have another time to come oh, that would, that would be a, that would Oh, that would be a lot of fun. The only thing I think we didn't mention was the Pearl Award that I got oh, yeah. in Calhoun. I moved away, and they brought me back the next year. I left after Bill died and came back to Cordell. And they um, – it's right there under there. They, yeah. they started this in – in Calhoun to honor it was really for volunteerism and I think that they I was very pleased there were I was one of the first four but they um they gave me the Pearl Award it was named after a lady in Calhoun that was very involved in the community her name was Pearl King and I was one of the first ones that was honored and I was brought back and basically it was I think to thank me for my volunteerism that I had done with um, cancer awareness and, and the, the fashion shows that we did for the cancer survivors. And, and so that was, that was really a very special thing uh, locally. Um, and then, of course, I've already told you about some of the UGA things, but um, it, it was, I think it was a combination of my work with cancer awareness and honoring cancer survivors but also the money I raised for the for the gym theater and the uh, United Way so raising money is hard oh very hard and and how would you inspire somebody that's out there that really needs to do that for their community what would how would you tell them to gear up I mean you've been creative in a lot of your (laughs) raising uh, efforts and what you it's it's very hard I, I dread it every time I do it, honestly, because you don't, you have to take it in seasons because 
there was a time I felt like, especially when I was raising money for the booster clubs and the high schools, that every time they saw Stella coming, oh my gosh, she's going to ask me for money. You don't really want that reputation. <laughs> and yet at the same time, I think you have to tell the story. You know, when Becca and I were in this meeting this week for the Arts Council and we're talking about raising money, you have to let them know what you're doing for other people. The Georgia Women of Achievement raising money, you have to let them know we are doing this to honor these past women and to inspire young people. So um, that's a hard question to answer. I just think the one-on-one approach is my best approach. I don't, I, I will be glad to talk to anybody, whether it's the president of the company or an individual that wants to give money to any cause, but the, everybody is wanting and needing money. So from the churches to the civic organizations to volunteer groups, I get, I get an email almost every day asking for money. UGA would just, they would love for me to give them lots of money. (laughs) Well, you know, one of the the aspects that you said there was the storytelling. So if, if you're telling people what the money that you're raising is even behind, that probably makes a bigger difference than just, oh, it's that time of year again. Yes, I think so. Absolutely. And that's, that's what we were doing in the Arts Council meeting the other day is, is saying, okay, we've got to tell the community what we're doing for kids, for other cultural events. We're, that's the biggest thing that people want to know. What are you doing? What's your purpose? You've got to have a speech. You've got to have a little we used to call it an elevator speech, but nobody knows about that anymore. When you get on the elevator, they say, you know. Yeah, but you, you have but three you've, floors to tell me what you want. Correct. But you've got, to have, you've got to have purpose, and you've got to have passion for what you're asking for. And I've taken seasons of this myself. You know, I did a lot in Calhoun for the high school. Then I did a lot for this Dancing with the Stars and being asked, all the time we're supposed to be out there ambassadors for UGA trying to get people to give money and I have friends that give a lot of money and I give what I can Uh, then I have a down syndrome a child with down syndrome a grandson with down syndrome obviously I want to be supportive of him so we have to pick and choose where we put our gifts and they don't always have to be money gifts the gift of your time is probably the greatest gift one can give and that is, I'm very passionate about that too. Of course, we want people to write checks, but giving their time to volunteer, uh, whether it be building a house, as Habitat for Humanity does, or reading to a child at the school, helping a child with an art project, um, visiting the elderly. I'm involved right now at church with a group a support group for caregivers because that's a hard hard job and I'm not doing it right at the moment but I did for both my parents that's right and so my purpose in being there is one to support and say you know what I did I said that last night to a friend that I met at a restaurant I've been where you are I know how hard it is it is exhausting 
And what we're trying to do in this caregiving group is to give them some laughter and to help them to know how important it is to take care of themselves. Now, I'm not the best one to give that because I tend not to take as good a care of myself sometimes to put other people like my parents. I mean, I felt like I had to, you know, it's a hard, again, it's a hard balancing act. But if we don't take care of the caregiver, we can't take care of the people that we need to. So um, time, I think the gift of people's time is very, as much as important as the gift of their money. That's very good. And you're hitting on so many topics that people are relevant to, to individuals as they're trying to balance their lives. And and there, it's just like when you become a parent, there's not a manual. No. Everybody's situations are different, but yet there's some commonalities that if you just know that you're not all by yourself, sometimes that makes I think support okay. groups are really important. Um, this one is very good that we're doing at the church right now, but young parents – they need friends. They need, and I was in that boat because I was in Calhoun, Georgia with no family. It was Bill and me and our friends, and the friends become your family. And it's a great support system because you are parenting together. And, and you know, you may be sitting on those bleachers with those parents, but you're all on the same page about your kids. Um, so, yes, I think support is very important. And, um, you have to seek out, and I tend to be an advocate of positive people. Seek out people that are going to lift you up and not bring you down. People that are focusing on positive things instead of negative. And there's so much negative in our world right now, you have to fight it hard. Yeah, you can get a dose of that one. <laughs> so, do you do some coaching for people to help them go out and make those connections and I mean, I you mean networking? Thing. Yeah. Oh, networking. I'm a network queen. I love I love to network. Um, I just recently took a friend of mine from Calhoun to meet a girl from Cordell who is the student body president at Auburn. I just thought they would be great together, and I wanted the young lady from Cor- uh, Calhoun to meet the young woman from Cordell because she is the student. I have coached her before, before she went to college. But she is so accomplished and so poised and so awesome. So very proud of her. And everybody was teasing me. What's this bulldog doing over here at Auburn? I'm like, oh, I I like Auburn. They're great. (laughs) But I brought those two kids together. I think, yes, I'm always doing that. I love to network. I love to put people together that of common ground or that might work together. Is that answering that question? Yeah, it is. It is. Uh Uh-huh. and you know, a lot of times in business, I'm I, I'm very uh, privileged that I have no people in different places. And so, if I'm coaching a a kid that say, let's say, risk management person, and I know somebody in risk management that I might connect them with, not necessarily to hire them, but right. to mentor them or help them, it's it's quite important to network. Uh, I have found in coaching that a lot of jobs come with openings from people that you know you need to let the whole world know i'm looking for a job i used to tell my boys don't leave a rock unturned look under every rock look under every opportunity and i think that's also with fundraising i think you have to try to think of people that might enjoy being asked to either participate as a volunteer or help you financially so it's all about networking 
I talked with someone the other week and they talked about, um, she's actually on the podcast that, uh, she talked about, you don't know what the stories are of the people that you're even working with. And she's working with a group of lawyers. And when she passed out a form for them to fill out their outside interest, suddenly she found out all these different things that they were doing that were their passions. And so suddenly you had different opportunities to tap into. Yes. I've always telling my clients to put down their volunteer work on their resume. Honestly, businesses want to see the whole person right that is they want them yes they want to know if you've done volunteerism at a soup kitchen or that you've helped with special olympics of course obviously that's a that tugs at my heart i love to hear anyone that's helping with special olympics or with the buddy walks or the miracle leagues or things like that but you don't you don't know the full person if you don't ask it or you don't present it and i think especially when you are applying for a job you need to put all of those things volunteerism is a really big deal and if they don't put it down probably the person interviewing them is going to ask what do you do in your spare time where do you spend your volunteer hours and it can make or break an interview and if you're just doing it just to do it then that doesn't define anything about you so would advice to young people to be more find your passion mm-hmm. to volunteer in. absolutely so it becomes your story not somebody else's yes don't tell somebody else's story tell your story and sometimes i have to pry it out of kids i'll yeah. have to say young people i'll have to say what do you enjoy doing when you're not doing this one young man that i am so fond of worked his way through georgia he is trying to get a job and he volunteers as a coach on weekends with a just a community league, like a right. little baseball team or something. And he was not telling me that. And I was like, oh, my gosh, you need to put that down. That's huge. That is so good. That's because <laughs> because Because he had worked his way through college. He didn't have time for a lot of extracurriculars. And so he was doing this, and he works now full-time in Atlanta trying to get a he's, – he's got to have money. So he has to work. But, he, but he's not doing his dream job. And so we're trying to create a good resume and a good interview for him. Uh, and he was leaving that out because it just didn't – he didn't, he didn't, he didn't think, applied. He, didn't think yeah. he didn't realize how important it was. Oh, so wow. yeah, I, absolutely. You, you, inf- you, you get them to tell their whole story and the stories are fascinating. Somebody may be caring for an elderly grandmother and they may not have time to do this, that, or the other. Well, you can certainly put that down that I do caregiving for my grandmother. Right. That's, That's a volunteerism. It is. And, and it, it shows all these personality traits that you don't know somebody has if you haven't heard that part of their story. Well, is there anything else that I, I don't want to I can't think of out? a thing. I think okay, you've done a great done job it. of interviewing me. Oh, thank I you. I wish you I could interview pleasure, you in, in turn. <laughs> well, I'm usually the that. one teaching how to interview. <laughs> you've done a great job. Well, thank you. It's been a pleasure to have you on. And um, if somebody is looking to get in touch with you, wait, I have one question that I love to ask. Okay. If you have one superpower for 24 hours and that's all you had and you could do anything with it, what would your superpower be and what would you do with it and why? Wow, that is a fabulous question. 
the first thing that comes to mind, and this is what I always tell my clients, go with the first thing that comes to mind. I have had, as we all have, so many people affected by cancer. If I had a superpower that I could cure cancer, is that what kind of question you're asking me? I would do that because every day I hear of someone else that I know or that I love it's been in my family. It's been in all my friends. Um, it seems to be acad- a- epidemic. That is what I would wish for. Of course, you know, I would wish that all people could be looked at equally too, whether they were dis- disabled or whether they were different or whether they were just from a foreign country or another land or a different culture, I think, or a different persuasion. I think we need to be more open and honest about acceptance of others. So on a medical side, I would like to, to cure cancer if I had superpowers, and we pray for that every day. Those of us that believe in the power of prayer, we pray for answers, to find answers to cure cancer. But the other thing I think is so equally important is that we treat others with respect and kindness, if, regardless of their background or circumstances. Excellent. If someone would like to get in touch with you, how do they get in touch with you? They may go to my website, Be A Star With Stella. They can go to my Facebook page, Be A Star With Stella. I don't mind giving out my telephone number if you want me to. Uh, It's 478-550-0941. I am easy to find. You can Google me. I'm all kinds of crazy things up there about me. <laughs> they talk about my uh, my legacy at UGA and all the people that have um, been to Georgia from my family. Um, it's easy to find me, Stella Williams Bailey. Google me and look me up on Facebook or look at my website or call me. Well, I could give my email address too. I didn't do that. That's fine. Stella W. Bailey, 2013 at gmail.com. Fabulous. Thank you so much. Thank you, Amy. It's been so much fun talking with you. Well, I'm challenged. Stella is an inspiration to get involved and treat those with special needs with love and respect. She's been such a community and state influencer in so many trailblazer projects. We all grow from others' experiences, and Stella is involved in the project of the Georgia Women of Achievement, which is an amazing way of honoring women of the past. Thanks so much for tuning in. podcast on Spotify, SoundCloud, iTunes, or anywhere you get your favorite podcast listen. You'll laugh out loud, you'll cry a little, and you'll find yourself encouraged. Join us for casual conversation that leads itself based on where we take it, from family to philosophy to work to meal prep toward beautifully surviving life.